Good morning. We're going to be reading Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean, but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the word of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, and when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is the word of the Lord for us today. Let's pray together. Father, indeed, this is the word of the Lord for us today. And God, as we've gathered as your children, as the people of God to worship you on this Lord's Day, God, we want to hear from you. We want to better understand who you are and grasp more fully the depth of your love for us. Lord, we want to understand what it looks like to follow you faithfully in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and in the church as we're serving one another So God, we pray that you would instruct us in your word this morning. God, we invite you to sort of rough, sand off rough edges in our hearts and in our character this morning. We invite you to continue the great work of refining us into the image of your perfect son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And God, we know that your word is able to, by your spirit to do these things in us. So speak to us now, teach us and transform us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it's great to be back with everyone this week. Uh, Last Sunday, I was able to go to Phoenix and actually do a memorial service for my grandfather who passed away a few months ago. And 
Um, I know it's sad when someone passes away, but um, it's also joyful to be able to go and see your family and comfort your family. And we had a great time together as a family. But it's great to be back now uh, together with all of you worshiping the Lord here at Apostles Church. And as was mentioned in the announcements, we're going to be starting next week the book of James. And we're going to be working our way through uh, each passage in the book of James, kind of going through the fall up until around Christmas time together. And also, as was mentioned, next week we're going to be relaunching community groups. We took a summer break for all of our groups, and those are all going to be restarting next week. Our prayer and hope is that all who are able are plugged into these small group fellowships during the week uh, so that we can further build community and encourage one another in the faith. But because of the fact that we're launching a new series next week and relaunching community groups next week, I thought it'd be a good time this morning for us to refocus on what we're doing as a church and how things like our teaching on Sunday mornings or things like community groups fit into our ministry vision as a church. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You could, if you like, call it our philosophy of ministry, the way that we as a church conceive of doing ministry at Apostles. So I want to begin with a question this morning, and it's this, have you been called to ministry? You, as an individual sitting here in the church this morning, have you been called to ministry? Or to put it differently, to do the work of ministry. Have you been called to do the work of ministry? Now, pretty much all I would assume would agree that I've been called to ministry. I'm a pastor after all, right? So yeah, he's been called to ministry. <clears throat> Same with missionaries. We can say, yeah, those people are called to ministry. That's what they're giving their lives to. Or church staff, or maybe a worship leader. But beyond that, for some of us, it gets a little bit fuzzy. See, for many Christians, when we think about doing ministry, or we think about the work of ministry... Our minds are quick to go to what we could call the professionals, if you will, the experts in the field or those who pull a paycheck. And we think those people are the ones that are doing ministry. Those are the people set aside in our church to do ministry. But this is a costly mistake. And this is something that we absolutely have to correct this morning. And Ephesians chapter 4 is going to help us to do that. So our text, which was read for us, <clears throat> excuse me, is Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. We're really going to be zooming in on verses 11 and 12, but we need to get a little context here before we do that. <clears throat> what the Apostle Paul is calling for in the church in this section is he's calling for unity in the body of Christ. Unity among the members of the church. In verse 1, we see that he's urging them to do some things. And then he's really specific in verse 3 where he says that he wants them to be eager. Look at verse 3. To do what? To maintain the unity. Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the Apostle Paul is very interested in the church having unity. That we're all of one accord, that we all 
are of one mind, of one heart, of one spirit. And the way that he's going to support this call for unity in the rest of the section is to basically point out the commonality that we share. It's this one faith, this one baptism. And most fundamentally, he's going to point out that we are all members of, listen, one body. Look at verse 4. He says, there is one body. In other words, Paul is saying that we ought to be unified in the church because all of us are part of the same body, the body of Christ. After laying this foundation in verse 7, Paul explains that Christ has given gifts of grace to each and every one of us who are members in the body of Christ. And then he quotes Psalm 68, 18 as a reference to the fact that Christ ascended to heaven before he gave these gifts of grace to the church. And this is really what Paul wants to shift into to talk about here, is these gifts that have been given to the church. But he realizes that he sort of fast-forwarded a little bit in the movie if he just goes straight into talking about the ascension. So in verses 9 and 10, he references Christ's descent to the earth. He explains that Christ first descended to this earth at the incarnation when God became man. And of course, we know the story, the life of Jesus, where Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life and where Jesus laid it down on the cross as a substitute for our sins, only to rise again from the dead three days later. And it was after this work where Christ became our righteousness where Christ dealt decisively with your sin, where Christ came back from the grave and conquered death, that then in the story of Christ, he ascended to heaven where he turned around and sent gifts of grace to the church, to all of his followers. Every person who would choose to turn from their sins and put their faith in Christ, both then and now, are given gifts of grace from the Holy Spirit. Now, some of those gifts are people. I wonder if you look at other people in the church as gifts of grace from Jesus. They are. Some of these gifts of grace are listed in verse 11 for us. We read there that <clears throat> when Christ gave gifts to the church, he gave the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. Now, this is B-roll footage for the sermon today, but there's debate today, of course, about which of these offices are still active in the church today. And I'll just say this, it's clear to me from the New Testament that apostles and prophets in the New Testament sense have ceased to be active offices. The canon of Scripture is now closed, and the eyewitnesses of Christ are dead and gone to heaven so today it seems that what we have as far as offices are pastor teachers, the gift of evangelism at work. But the point is that he gave these offices to the church for a purpose. And now I want us to zero in on what is our primary text for this morning in verses 11 and 12. Jesus gave these offices to the church for a purpose, <clears throat> but we often miss it. Here's what happens when most of us read this passage. We read it consciously or subconsciously with part of verse 12 omitted or crossed out. I want to put it up on the screen. We read it like this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, 
the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Many believers look at pastors, teachers, other, again, if you will, professionals in the church as those who exist to do the work of ministry. That's why they're here. But if we look at the verse more closely, here's what it actually says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to do what? To equip, here it comes everybody, to equip the saints. Who's that? All of us. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what he's saying there is that in a sense, the professionals, again, I'm just using that as a a loose term, but, but people like me, if you will, we do ministry, but actually the ministry that I've been given is an equipping ministry. My ministry is actually to empower you to do the real work of ministry that the New Testament talks about. This is incredible. See, again, the problem that is a lot of times Christians are looking at the professionals as the ones who Christ has given the church to do all of the ministry. So it's those people who exist to do evangelism. They're the ones who are supposed to reach the lost with the gospel. They're the ones who are to make disciples. They're the ones who are to share the scriptures with the family of God. They're the ones who are to comfort those who are grieving. They're the ones who are to pray with people who are hurting. They're the ones who are to support those who are in need. But again, we know this is not what this verse says. Those who are called into ministry, if you will, or the ministry, the professionals exist not to do the ministry per se, but to equip the body, every single one of you, for the work of ministry. All of us are called to do ministry and the work of of ministry. The New Testament envisions a shared ministry model where every member of the church is engaging in the work of ministry. Now I see a lot of heads nodding up to this point, and this is good. Not nodding like falling asleep. That's bad. Nodding like in agreement. Like, yeah, I get this, Pastor. Tell me something I don't know. And that is good. <clears throat> Most Christians realize that they're called to do some ministry. And many Christians are doing some ministry. And that's why some would say, well, that's why I'm an usher at my church. Or that's why I serve in the children's ministry. Or that's why I'm involved in worship ministry in the church. Because I know I'm supposed to do ministry. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with serving in those ministries in our church. That's all good. Those are great ways to serve the Lord. But there is a problem. Please listen really carefully. There is a problem if we reduce ministry just to those sorts of things. Here's what I mean. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, and he was writing about the work of ministry, we can be certain that he isn't envisioning here serving in parking lot ministry or serving as an usher. Again, those things are not bad and they have their place, but that's not really what he has in mind. What kinds of things does the Apostle Paul have in mind when he's talking about ministry here? Well, the first thing to notice is that in context, he's talking about 
a ministry of the word that all of us have in the church where we're encouraging and admonishing and correcting one another with the scriptures. If you look down at verse 15, we see this. He says that all of us in the church are to be speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Because, as he explains in this passage, that is the way that we grow and mature into the image of Christ rather than being children, like he talks about in verse 14, who are carried about by every wind of doctrine. So first and foremost, when Paul is talking about the ministry that he's calling all of the church to, it's a ministry of the word. It's a ministry where we are encouraging each other from the scriptures, where we're correcting one another at times, where we're admonishing each other with the word of God so that all of us will grow up and be mature so that none of us will be deceived by false teaching and be swept away from the truth. But we shouldn't stop here when we're thinking about what Paul has in mind when he uses the word ministry. The word here in the Greek is diakonia, and this is used many times in the New Testament, and it refers to a whole range of ministry functions. Let me give you a sampling this morning. In 1 Corinthians 12.5, this same Greek word for ministry or service, diakonia, is used. We read there, and there are varieties of service, diakonia, but the same Lord. In context, the Apostle Paul there is talking about how the Holy Spirit has given gifts to every member of the body, spiritual gifts. And he's calling those things, or saying that the reason for those things is ministry, diakonia. All of us are called to use our gifts in the body of Christ as a way of doing ministry. Over in Acts 6.1, we read that the widows there were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Again, same Greek word, diakonia, there for distribution. In other words, what he's saying is that as the church took it upon themselves to feed widows who were in need, that was ministry. That was New Testament ministry. Over in 2 Corinthians 5.18, we read of a ministry, a diakonia of reconciliation. And there Paul is not talking to pastors. He's not talking to missionaries. He says that all of you have been given a ministry of reconciliation where all of us are now ambassadors of Christ preaching the gospel. All of us are called into the ministry of evangelism. Two more I'll give us this morning. 2 Corinthians 9.12. Here Paul calls on the church to give relief money to suffering believers in Jerusalem. So he's saying, hey, can we take a special offering? We have brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who are in dire financial need. And as the church rises to the occasion and people are giving of their resources, Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians 9.12 that the ministry, diakonia, of this service is supplying the needs of the saints. Their giving to others in need is ministry. Finally, 1 Corinthians 16.15, Paul writes that the household of Stephanus devoted themselves to the service, the diakonia of the saints. As they opened their home in hospitality, probably hosted the home church, in their house, he's saying that that, in fact, was ministry. To summarize here, when we're thinking about 
ministry that we're all being called to. The scriptures are calling every Christian, listen, to evangelize, to open their homes and their lives with hospitality, to care for those in need, to handle the word through encouraging and admonishing one another, and to financially supporting the ongoing work of the church. And there's more, but that's just a sampling this morning. These are the sorts of things that God is not just calling pastors to do. These are the sorts of things that God is calling every single member of the church to be active with in our lives. And if we live this way, and if our church operates this way, this is a radical paradigm shift. I created a diagram to help illustrate the way that this shifts the paradigm of what church ministry looks like. For many churches, ministry looks like this model here. This is like so like low quality, low grade. This is what happens when you have pastors make diagrams. I made this. This is so terrible. You probably can't even read all this, but I'll explain it to you. So this is the way that, that church ministry is often conceived of. On the outside here, we have all these circles and above it, I wrote your circle. So what I'm envisioning here is that all of us have our own circle, right? Your own family, your friends, kind of your network of people that you're related to every single day of your life. And we're out there Monday through Saturday in our circles. And many times we think of the church, and by the church I mean Sunday gathering, what we're doing right now, as the place where ministry takes place. And so oftentimes in church we think, okay, here's what my ministry is as a Christian. I've got, to get every, I've got to go out and try to get all the people in my sphere into that building and then ministry can take place for them. Because guess who's there in that building? The professionals. I've got unsaved family members. I know what they need. They need to hear Pastor Daniel share the gospel with them so they can get saved. I've got somebody who's in need in my circle right now. I know I've got, got to get them to the church and have the church meet that need for them right now. Here's what happens when we think about it the way that Ephesians chapter 4 is talking about it this morning. Here's diagram number 2. Notice that ministry is shifted here. That ministry is not being contained inside the walls of the church, although ministry happens in the church. Ministry is actually moving outward into circles now. What's happening in the walls of the church on Sunday morning, what should be happening primarily, is ministry, but it's a very specific type of ministry. I wrote the word there, equipping. What should be happening as the people of God gather on Sundays to worship Jesus is we should be glorifying God and praising God and then we should be getting equipped so that, listen, Monday through Saturday, we can now take ministry back out into our circles, back out into our spheres of influence, back out into the places that God has placed you to be on mission right now in your life and here in Santa Barbara. And this is radically different. The church now, every member coming week in and week out to be equipped, to be trained, and then being unleashed throughout the week to go and bring ministry to our city. Guys, listen, this is what it looks like to fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave us. Where Jesus says in Matthew 28, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
What does it look like for us who have been strategically placed in Santa Barbara to make disciples of the people of Santa Barbara? Well, it looks like us going out from this building and loving people and serving people and ministering to people and sharing the gospel with people. Can you guys see how powerful this is? Can you see how important this is? Let me put this to you a different way. In the first diagram, if that's how we conceive of ministry, we have to bring everything in here for the professionals to handle, then guess what happens? The church is only as dynamic as its pastors. Its reach is only as far as its pastors can reach. It's a very limiting model of ministry. But in model two, the church is this explosive, dynamic organism that has exponential reach. Because each one of us are going into our own spheres of influence and we are reaching people with ministry. This is huge. Again, to be clear, I'm not diminishing the kinds of ministry that we can do inside the walls of the church. It's ministry too. It's just a specific type of ministry. It's helping to facilitate the equipping of the saints so that all of us can be prepared to go out throughout the week and minister to those we know. Here's the real danger when we conceive of ministry is basically what we're doing inside the walls of the church. You can have people who spend 20, 30, maybe even 40 years of their Christian life serving, perhaps ushering at their church, which is a great thing, and they've done that for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, but they've almost never evangelized the lost, They're not engaged in acts of compassion. They're not visiting the sick. They're not praying for those in need. They're not giving of their resources to support the less fortunate. And yet they can feel like they're doing what God's called them to because after all, I've been serving in ministry for 30 or 40 years. No, 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 church, listen. A healthy church member is somebody who does look at the needs when we gather on Sunday and say, where can I plug myself in to help facilitate Sunday worship where we're equipping the saints? But then when we leave church on Sunday, a healthy church member is now looking outside Monday through Saturday saying, where and how can I minister outside of the walls of the church? Is everyone tracking with me so far? Is this making sense? It's a great spot to go. Amen. Yes, perfect. Okay. So, this has radical implications for how we do church. I'm only going to give us two major ones this morning that will help us to think about how we're doing church at Apostles. Number one, church is a place where we equip the saints, not entertain the world. This is huge. And this is an implication that flows directly out of Ephesians chapter 4. Church where we gather on Sunday, what we're doing here today as the people of God. This is a place where we equip the saints, not entertain the world. What this means is that our primary goal at church isn't to try to reach non-believers, but to teach believers. Okay, I'm going to let that sink in. Our primary goal is not to try to reach non-believers, but to teach and equip believers. This is why we spend the majority of our preaching and teaching on Sunday mornings going through books of the Bible, 
trying to help believers understand all that Christ has commanded to us so that we can be equipped and trained and faithful witnesses of Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we are trying to teach God's word, not just cherry pick topics that we think might be interesting to our non-believing neighbors. No, we're trying to teach the full counsel of God's word so that all of us can be mature and equipped followers of Christ. Now that does not mean, I see some of you with these objections on your face that you're wearing really proudly right now, and that's fine. This does not mean that we are not interested in speaking to non-believers on Sunday morning. We're aware that non-believers should be coming to our church. We should be seeing non-Christians come as we're inviting people. Um, That should happen. So it's not that we're unaware that they're here, and it's not that we're not interested in speaking to them. We are and we will, but here's the key. Our service is not designed around the needs primarily of non-believers. It's designed to equip you to reach non-believers that you know. And guys, this is so, so important because let me let you in on a little secret this morning. Most non-Christians that you know have no interest in coming to church. Like they're not just sitting around going, you know what, we should carve out half of our Sunday on Labor Day weekend and go see what Christianity is all about. Let's go check out the local church. Most non-believers just aren't in that place. Now, now some people are curious and we should always be an inviting people, but you're going to realize that a lot of people just aren't interested in coming to church. They're not just going to like pour in from the highways and byways because they see there's a church here and they're going, a church? Now, what is that? I've never heard of such a thing before. I should walk in and try to figure out what's going on in there. So all that to say, if you and I as a church, at Apostles, if we think that the key for us to getting non-Christians to church is by making our church a little bit more cool or a little more entertaining for non-Christians, we're totally missing it. Not going to work. They're not interested anyway. That's not the way we're going to reach them. On June 5th of this year, the Barna Group released their research on the top 10 post-Christian cities in America. Being post-Christian points to the erosion of Christianity in America through increasing secularization. So as the nation becomes more secular, we're leaving Christianity in the rearview mirror. That's what post-Christianity means. The top 10 post-Christian cities in our country, Santa Barbara was number nine. Now, what that means is if if you and I were doing frontier missions and we were going to unreached people groups, we'd be showing up with something new and we'd be talking about ideas people have never heard. And so there probably would be curiosity among that non-believing population because it's all new to them. They would be interested in what we're saying. Then they would decide if they want to receive or reject. Being post-Christian means that in the popular thinking of your friends and family and coworkers and classmates, They're not thinking of this as something they don't understand. They're thinking of Christianity as something that we've tried and we've moved beyond. Tried, didn't work, failed, it's old, and we're moving on to brighter horizons. The people here in Santa Barbara, generally speaking, are not interested in the message of the church. They think they've heard it and they've flatly rejected it and they're looking for something better. 
What this means is that you and I, if we're going to reach our community, you and I have got to be equipped. We have got to be mature. And we have got to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives at the core so that our, our lives, our families, our marriages, our work ethic, our generosity, our hearts are so radically different from what they're seeing in the non-believing community that it begins to pique their curiosity. And they go, maybe there is something to Christianity. Maybe it hasn't been tried and found wanting. Maybe I should come and give this a listen or I should ask this person who's living such a compelling witness about the faith that they have. This is the way forward. God's plan is not to wait for the day that you can trick your non-believing family and friends into showing up to church so they can get saved. Honestly, that kind of frustrates non-Christians usually when it happens too. When we pull the hole, like, hey, you want to go to a concert with me? A free concert with me? Card, and then they just show up and it's like, wait, you didn't tell me this was church? Gotcha. That frustrates a lot of non-believers. No, 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 what God is calling us to do as the church is to get serious in our faith, to grow, to mature, to understand the word of God and to begin loving in transformative ways non-believers around us. This is more effective anyway. All of you have a network. All of you have a circle. I could never reach it. You have a social media presence. You have a family. You have a neighborhood. You have a workspace. You have a classroom. You have a sports team that I can never know. I could never access because it's not my sphere. And if our mentality is let's just wait back for the pastors or the professionals to reach the city, we are so limited. But if all of us are going into our families, all of us are going into our workplaces missionally, doing ministry, loving, sharing, encouraging, serving, how powerful does this become? If you've ever wondered what ministry God is calling you into, just look into that circle of relationships that are already in your life. That's the ministry God's called you into. We need to stop sitting back and Thinking of successful ministry as preaching to thousands and thousands of people or writing bestseller books or some incredible worship album. Sure, those can be signs of a successful ministry. But the fact of the matter is for the vast majority of Christians, God's not calling you into full-time ministry work. God is calling you to be stay-at-home moms or to be a business person or an educator or a police officer or a construction worker or a medical professional or a CPA and a whole host of other professions. In other words, God is calling you to work outside of the walls of the church, and that career is your calling. Your mission is to penetrate that field and to minister to people in an effort to build the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, if over the course of your life, you could reach, by God's grace, that circle of people that are right around you, that would be an incredibly effective and successful lifetime ministry. That's who God's calling you to, to pray for, to love, and to serve. Okay, number two, and this one's shorter. First implication is that church is a place where we equip the saints, not entertain the world. The second implication from what we're talking about this morning is going to church is for Sundays, being the church is for every day. Our vision is not to have a super busy church that's offering a million different programs to busy yourself with. 
If you're a member at Apostles, we're just not interested in having you show up here five and six nights a week inside the walls of the church as a, as a way of doing ministry. Our vision is to gather for equipping like I'm talking about this morning and then scatter for mission and then gather for equipping and then scatter for mission and then gather for equipping and then scatter for mission. Because the fact of the matter, as we're talking about this morning, is we should not be doing ministry just once or twice a week inside the walls of the church. No, God is calling us to be ministry-minded people seven days a week, everywhere we go in every sphere of influence that we have. And so this means that for the Christian, it's not just about going to church, it's about being the church, which is a 24-7 calling. So at Apostles, we're not interested in being highly programmatic. We don't want to have a ministry for everything. Instead, we, we really want our vision here to be sort of minimalistic, sort of streamlined. I was having coffee with somebody who's been coming to our church for a few weeks. Uh, we had coffee earlier this week, and he asked me, so Pastor Daniel, what's next? Like, how do I, how do I get more involved at the church? And that was a great question. And I shared with him what our vision pastorally is for all of our members at this church. And I'll reiterate it for all of you this morning. I said, look, if you were to look at a monthly calendar, you've got 30 or 31 days. Really, if, 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 this, if I had it my way, every member in our church would only be marking off seven days a month that they're coming down to the church or coming together with the church to do something. Four Sundays a month, two community group meetings, and a once a month prayer and worship service. Seven times that we're gathering inside the walls of the church or in somebody's home together for the express purpose of equipping ourselves, deepening our walk with Christ. Now again, that doesn't mean we're not fellowshipping beyond that and people aren't still encouraging each other, but what we're trying to call you to do to be connected here is really like seven days out of the month. Four Sundays, two community group meetings, and a monthly prayer and worship service. The reason for that, you guys, is because we want to give every member here tons of time throughout the month to be nurturing their own souls, to be caring for their families, to be loving their non-Christian neighbors and friends and serving this community. As Christians, we should be coaching Little League or softball or taking our kids to martial arts or serving on the PTA or inviting our non-Christian neighbors over for a barbecue sometimes. And some Christians are so burnt out from doing so much ministry. I mean, like coming back to the church to serve three or four different ways a week. They're so burnt out from doing ministry that they have no time to go do ministry. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but many Christians do. You finally get a night off from doing ministry and serving in some different way at your church. And you're like, oh, I just want to veg and watch Netflix. Is that so bad? I don't have the capacity anymore to even want to invite non-believers or other people from the church over to my house to minister to them. What has Christ called the church to do? What has Christ given His Spirit to us to do? Just to gather in here 20 nights a month and have our own bless me club and hang out? No. He's given the Spirit and He's given our gifts and our talents and our resources to us so that we could go out on mission and love and serve and win over a community of people who don't know Christ, people who are cut off from him, people who are lost right now. And that's what we have to be passionate about. How do we do it? 
In closing, we gather for equipping. We scatter for mission. We gather for equipping. We scatter for mission. We gather for equipping and we scatter for mission. Week after week, month after month, year after year. And as we're doing that by God's grace, we're gonna be reaching into and penetrating into all of our different circles, all of our different networks and seeing many people come to faith through our witness. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Father, we thank you so much for the great gift of grace that you have given to us, your Son, Jesus Christ, who has brought us into the family of God, into the body of Christ, because all of us were cut off from your family through our own sin. But you sent Jesus here to live a righteous life that we could not live. You sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Sins that we could never pay for ourselves. It would have taken us an eternity in a place called hell to pay for those sins. And yet Christ paid for them decisively on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago. And by faith in Him, now we can receive forgiveness from our sins. And we can receive the guarantee that just like Christ triumphed over death, we too will share in the resurrection. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for this good news. But Lord, we know that it's not just about us getting to heaven. It's not just about us having our sins forgiven. If that were the case, the moment we believed, we would have died and gone to heaven. But God, you have now given us other gifts, the gift of the Holy Spirit and all that he supplies in our lives to transform us into the image of Christ and to make us like Christ, that we would be like Christ, moved with compassion toward a hurting city, moved with compassion toward hurting neighbors, and we would want to meet their needs, both physical and emotional, and of course, even their greatest need, a spiritual need, by sharing the gospel with them. So Lord, I pray that you would empower us. I pray that we would constantly be a church that is equipping and discipling and training one another as we encourage each other through the scriptures and pray for one another so that we all might be mature women and men of God and that we might go into our own spheres on mission, leading others to Christ. God, we ask that you would do this in our midst for your glory and for our eternal good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.